0: all right well, let's go ahead and pray and then uh, we will again father thank you for the opportunity to study your holiness tonight um, I pray that we would have a similar response to Isaiah um, when he saw your holiness that he trembled that he bowed low and uh, he was a purified man I pray that our discussion would be profitable, that it would be active, that we would be able to help each other know how to live holy lives to please you. Not legalistic lives, not uh, law-free lives, but lives that match what your word has to say. Give us wisdom on how to apply your truth and give us a love for you that will... uh, Produce in us a tenacity and a discipline to apply your truth in your name we pray amen right, I'm going to confess right out at, at the outset that tonight um, in light of the fact that I've been just kind of handing it to you so to speak week after week this semester with lots of information and lots more of like a luxury style even though I don't prefer that I um, Tonight is going to be completely... My goal is complete reversal of that. So my desire is for your participation. So I'm giving you that as a heads up because... One, if you want to get out of here real fast, you'll just all shut up and won't say anything. Um, but you might also have an enjoyable time watching me squirm and come up with the answers to my own questions um, that I otherwise haven't fully as fully prepared as I normally would have because I, I want, uh, especially, I say this with respect, even though it probably going to sound not, not as respectful as I have it in my head, but I do desire at the end to depend heavily on our more veteran saints, veteran young guy young lady saints to provide some, at least for me, because I think I'm definitely the youngest in the year uh, some some help to how we can live holy lives in the very junky world in which we live so uh, two weeks ago we considered the very Interesting topic of God's sovereignty, and my desire of that week was, um, even though we did dive a little bit into some of the tensions that cause our minds much pain and our hearts much frustration at times, I tried to do as best as I could to commend God's sovereignty to us. That even though it's it has its thorns, it's some it's a topic that's worthy of our deep consideration, um, because without it. Um, we have no hope things don't make sense uh, we have no purpose but we define simply God's sovereignty as God is in complete control of everything and he is in complete control of everything for his own glory and for the good of his people we said that God has not obligated himself in any way shape or form to those who are not his people Um, and that helped us helped inform our understanding of suffering and 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 things of that sort. Um, I gave you the lyrics to a Stephen uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman song um, in response to that whole tension of how do we understand God's sovereignty in light of sin, in light of our responsibility, and while we can venture certain guesses we can try to put the pieces of the puzzle together at the end of the day we have to say as he has said God is God and I'm not I can only see a part of the picture he's painting God is God and I am man so I'll never understand it all for only God is God and at the end of the day we can all rest our head in the pillow because that is true um, even if we don't get it all So this week we're going to transition and look at God's holiness. So we're going to discover what it means that God is holy and how it affects our relationship with Him. Because what I'm trying to do is constantly go back to this semester is about intimacy with God, developing our relationship with Him. So what does God's holiness have to do with that? So question one, what do we mean when we say that God is holy? So if you're a blank Nazi. It's holy and effects, with an A. So question one, what do we mean when we... Actually, let me check that by Sally. It is A, effects, right? Okay, good. I thought that I had that right, but... I learned that she used to be an English teacher, and that kind of freaked me out a little bit, so... <clears throat> All right, question one, what do we mean when we say God is holy?
1: Not a trick. <clears throat> completely separated from sin. He's completely separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor.
0: Okay, he's completely separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. Okay. Betty said, I'll just throw that out for discussion, Betty said that or asked, she answered my question with a a question. Um, Isn't it all of God's attributes kind of all coalesced into one thing? Kind of, right? What do you think about that?
2: His character is set apart like none other. Um, um, His nature is divine. He can't go against what he says. And he, he... He can't sin. There's nothing in him that is... Like almost like the opposite of sin he, he can't it's hard to express <laughs> he's perfection
0: okay he's
1: perfection perfection yeah that's right, right. sovereign okay. and
0: okay that's part of what she said yeah <clears throat> so let me answer your question kind of um i would say no and because I think, theologically, not to get too deep into the, the theology of God, but theologically speaking, we would def- God is what his attributes are is kind of the, tip- the typical theological phrase that is said. So, um, so God is mercy. God is love. When we see te- like First First John, where God is love. Um, so God is what his attributes are um and i think where you're at suggesting or asking if all of his attributes comprise together his holiness i would say i think where you're getting at is some people have some theologians have talked about that god's holiness governs all of his other the expression of all of his other attributes maybe that's the case i don't i mean i don't know i don't know how god if god is what his attributes are how one attribute could kind of like trump the rest um maybe yeah i don't i don't see why like well wouldn't god love when god's god's holiness influences all of his attributes just like god's love influences all of his attributes you know so like i but it's kind of confusing. So I would say no to your answer. I don't think that it's just simply God, all of his attributes make him holy. Um, I do think that's part it contributes to his holiness. But I don't know if that's the best definition, to not being a dead
2: horse. I'm thinking, too, that when I think of God's holiness, I'm thinking of everything that he's not.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: Everything... Everything within, within his whole being, his, his character, is is free from all evil. Yeah. So
0: you said so, something earlier, actually, Pete, and you said, you said set apart, you said set apart, and then you said, I think, holy other, or something along that line.
2: Like none other.
0: Yeah, like none other. And that's, I think that's the idea. The, the, very distinct
2: the, the, and... The,
0: the very essence of holiness is set apart Um, and so oftentimes the way god's holiness is referred to theologically speaking is along two trajectories there's one that is his majestic transcendence and the other is his moral purity so there's majestic transcendence and what i mean by that is a really fancy term just to say he's above his creation he is there is no one like Him. right? Who among you, Exodus 15, is like You, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? There is none like God. So He is set apart from His creation. There is the Creator and there's the creation. Um, how did... McQuillan put it in his book. Uh, It's something like I could. I hope I'm not spewing heresy and not even realizing it, but there's something like there's God and then there's the like the universe is everything that is not God. So it's like there's God and then there's the universe and that's it. Um, So everything that is not God is universe. It's created. so that gives us that moral trans- or majestic transcendence, but then you have the moral purity—that idea of per- like his moral perfection, that he is completely unstained by sin, um, by any imperfection whatsoever. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. For then in Habakkuk 1, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Boy, who of us hasn't asked that question? Or Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? So in other words, the psalmist is asking who can have fellowship with God, the Holy One? Only those who are holy can have fellowship because verse 4 says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, external and internal purity. It is not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In other words, God is purity. In Him there is no darkness at all. So God is separate. He is other, both in moral purity as well as majestic transcendence, or you could say nature and character. So question two for you then is, how does this understanding of God's holiness inform our understanding of how God works? Or... How does this inform our understanding of how God does what God does? <clears throat> so if God if God is majestically transcendent and morally pure, how does that influence our understanding of how God goes about doing His business?
1: Based on, based on all His attributes, but particularly based on His holiness. So things like the condemnation of sin completely goes against his holiness. So once that occurred, he has to he had to judge that, and that's within his judgment of sin. His acting upon that is within his holiness to do that. And then on the flip side, providing salvation takes care of that. Sinful condition that goes against His holiness. Okay. So, I mean, His holiness is <clears throat> one of the directing things that cause him you know, Okay.
2: Murder, that He
1: does. Okay. I think if we really truly get a grasp of just what His holiness is, we have to come to the.
0: If, as you said earlier, you used the term perfection. If God is perfect, there is no stain of sin, there is no um, even capability of mistake. Um, that means that what you said is absolutely right, that everything that God does is right. Not only does He never, ever sin, He never does anything that is less than perfect.
1: So that could make you look at your circumstances and really, because
0: I mean, we're all human, we're all going to wallow
1: Sometimes. <clears throat> but if we start thinking the way we should, we should bless man, make us think that like, this is what's supposed to happen, like a man.
0: So that would be one way. So I'm asking you to meditate on this thought. What are other ways that God's holiness would influence our understanding of what, how he works, what he does? So if God's holy, everything he does is right, it takes, perfect. It
1: takes one set of options off the table completely. And, and it good. It takes everything that isn't perfect off the table. You know, Any imperfect thought that you have about God is completely off the table.
0: Yeah, so if you were uh, to blame God for for some atrocity mm-hmm. or some sin, that that doesn't really work. Doesn't fit
2: his character, right? And it, and it helps
0: yeah, us to it, somehow magically, that fits with sovereignty, <laughs> right?
2: Well, God, God, I think. I don't remember the reference, but I know that God, does he not talk about himself as doing everything he does is good? So he takes credit for everything <coughs> that is good. And he should get the credit for everything that is good. And not get the blame for everything that is bad. But we have a tendency, I don't I should always speak for myself. It's it's easy to look at things and blame him, but if we see him, his character <clears throat> in light of holiness is being able to do nothing but good. How can we blame him for the bad things when that's all he can do is good? There's a little part of reading that reading says the holiness of God also includes perfect conformity to His own divine. That is, all of his thoughts and actions are consistent with his holy character. Mm-hmm. Just something that, he, if we're thinking something about God,
0: then he did something that, that's just contradictory to what God did. Right. What about if God is holy in the moral or the majestic transcendent aspect? That means he is—he answers to no one, kind of like what we saw two weeks ago, right? He there is no one above Him. I mean, He is the sovereign. Um, I mean, my dad uh, talked about it, but if God is holy, He is morally pure, um, obviously that means He not only does no sin, but He, His character can't have any toleration for sin. Like no toleration whatsoever. That's why God is completely just um, in being wrathful upon sinners and their sin. Anything else for how God's holiness might inform our understanding of how God works? Or another question your way. This is another highly meditative sort of question. What is it, what does God's holiness mean for us? For you and I, in, in as sinners, um, as saints, <clears throat> what does God's holiness mean for us? How does it uh, Affect our thinking or living. Um, What does it mean for us as humans, sinful and saint?
2: Everything that comes into my life is from God, and I can't say that that is bad. In my eyes, it may be bad, but God can work everything probably sends it because I have to be changed in some way. So we have no right to accuse him of anything. Because even his so-called bad stuff is good. He doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm.
0: So if God not only does not but cannot is not capable of of doing something that is not right to throw a lot of negatives in there if that is the case then what does that mean for us
1: imperfect in our humanity yes, he is perfect in his holiness. Mm-hmm. And they are even though I mean even though we're saved, that's taking care of our you know, our eternal our sin debt has been paid. But in terms of our life and being humans, we're we're imperfect. We're gonna make mistakes and everything that we do is completely opposite to His holiness. So if if everything that God does is
0: right, He can be trusted. Right? So because God is holy, God can be trusted because God cannot do anything that is not right. He only can do what is right all the time. Right? So we can... When that really stinky situation, as Sally alluded to earlier, comes into your life, while we might interpret that and see that and only have the capability of comprehending in our um, finite minds that this is bad, God is holy, whatever God ordains is right. Therefore, He can be trusted even when that situation doesn't seem right. Boy, these are tough lessons. I don't know about you, but they always seem to come back and they're tough to me. Uh, I mean, another thing that it means for us is God is going to judge sin and sinners. Right? So that means God is going to judge me. Right? Unless I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, I'm going to be judged for my sin. Unless my sin is taken on, on another. So God's holiness means that my sin's going to be judged. But it also means he can be trusted. It He, he his holiness means for us that we have a model of, of holy character, right? We have been his holiness has been portrayed to us in His written revelation. It's been epitomized in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we now can see what uh, human holiness looks like, right? Show, so it, we could say it shows us the character we are to have. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And then also I'd like you to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the first place we'll probably park. All these other questions have been softball questions. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 it says for it is written Peter's writing at the beginning of his letter he just got them talking about um, this amazing amazingly great salvation that God has secured for us in Christ we have in uh, an inheritance that is imperishable that can never spoil or fade reserved in heaven for us then he says I think in verse 11 something to the effect that um, the eight that our This grace is so amazing that angels long to look into these things, that that there's something so amazing about our salvation that we experience, and we sit there and think, well, that doesn't make any sense. These angels are perfect. They're up in heaven. They're God's holy servants, and yet there's something so amazing about the grace of God demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ that the angels long to look into our lives and see this amazing grace that we get to be part of. Now that could stop you in your tracks and make you think for a while. And then he starts teasing out the implications of this salvation and he gets to verse 16 and he he talks about how this salvation has practical ramifications in our lives and he says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So right now in your life, practically... He's saying, be holy, because I am holy. He is not saying, um, as some, maybe not necessarily in this text, but some and popular uh, theological circles today like to try to say, well, hey, you are holy in Christ. Yes, we are. But you are not yet holy as well. <laughs> um, and here, Peter's saying, Practically, you need to be holy. Hebrews chapter 12, look at that text. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, here he's talking about fatherly, well, he we just got done talking about fatherly discipline. And actually, at the beginning of Hebrews 12, I think this is the text where he says so you've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses so throw off just all the junk the the stuff that weighs you down the sin that so easily entangles you fix your eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despised the shame so don't give up <clears throat> keep on keeping on right and then he says talks about fatherly discipline And then he gets down. So it's all practical, everyday sorts of things, right? That's what he's talking about. This is how you should live. And he gets to verse 14 and he says, Make every effort, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And then here's the question. Here's the the statement that is potentially, hopefully troubling to all of us. For without holiness no one will see the Lord. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So what do you make of that? I
2: think as a Christian... Um... <clears throat> sticks and you have no change in your life then if there is no holiness to be seen then not being a child
0: of God good Wanda you like that mm-hmm. for without holiness no one will see the Lord be holy Because I am holy. So does God expect perfection from us? Is God's expectation then perfection? in a constant so i'm in a constant state of failure like no matter how hard i try no matter what i do i'm i'm going to always fail god because of jesus so then why do i try if i'm if i'm holy in in christ but that seems kind of weird right i mean i'm already holy in christ then why why do i have to try you're holy in
1: christ
0: but I'm never going to be holy in this life. So I'm going to be—I'm just—it's just a failure. You could—you could probably drive yourself crazy thinking about it. So does God expect perfection?
1: That's a weird... It's an impossibility. I think he
2: expects it, but he knows we're not going to
0: be. So what if I said yes and no? That's what I was thinking. So, on the yes, John, you would going like to say that. Well, it. you know, it's like
1: we're, we're to be <clears throat> reflections of Him. He is perfect, so we're kind of expected to be perfect. But with the sin nature that we've been born with, we can't be until... Right, then... Yeah. So, so yes,
0: his expectation is perfection for we must be declared and clothed in Christ's righteousness in order to have a relationship with God, right? So uh, as I used to like to tell the junior hires, it's as if God looks at Pete Belich and he sees, because he's repented and believed, he now looks at Pete Belich with... Uh, Jesus Christ colored lenses. And so he only can see you through the lenses of Jesus Christ. And so that's how he sees you. He no longer sees unrighteous Pete Belich. He sees clothed in Christ's righteousness Pete Belich. Just like that's the way he
1: views me.
0: And so in order for us to have access to Him, like when Hebrews talks about how we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of this mediator, Jesus. Jesus Christ, the righteous One who's passed through the heavens, who's the Son of God. It's because of His righteousness that we can have access to Him and have a relationship with Him. Yet, I would say no to that question, does God expect perfection? Maybe just to make myself feel better, but because I know that in this life I will never be perfect. So my answer would be yes, no. What his expectation is, is not perfect holiness, but I would say the pursuit of holiness, or we might also call that perseverance. Right? Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews is all about you're persevering and I don't think that it would be fair to say you're just hanging on by a thread just barely making it survive right, like I'm I'm alive I think that, and, and I'll show you a text, an important text in Second Peter that would demonstrate that um, because I do all think that we all go through periods of our lives where all we're doing is just hanging by, <laughs> hanging on for dear life, hoping that we can just make it, make it out alive. But I think the overall trajectory of the Christian life is one of pursuing holiness. It's perseverance. Dad, you're going to say something. That,
1: <clears throat> the pursuit of holiness in, in our human realm is the progressive sanctification, right? That, that has to take place, right? as we learn more, then we want to become more like Him, even though we can't be. Yeah. But His Word tells us that we should pursue this, and as we study His Word, learn more about Him, learn more about our sinner, that we, we grow, and that, that pursuit of holiness increases. Yeah.
0: Let me give you two uh, two quotes. They're very short, so that's good. But let me give you two quotes from two different Christian uh, authors um, that describe uh, what I would call maybe like the New Testament ethic or the, trying to make sense of this. Number one, I've already shared this with you, I think, last semester, but one is by Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor in East Lansing of a Reformed church or... Yes. No, I think it's a PCA church now. Anyway, in a book called uh, The Hole in Our Holiness, he, he writes that the New Testament ethic is this, be who you are. So be in your life who you are. In other words, uh, you are declared righteous in Christ already, Right? So, be in reality, in practice, who you are in identity. Right? So, your identity infuses and, and, and permeates into your existence. Um, so, that would be one of the ways that he has couched it. Um, another person that probably more of you are familiar with, John MacArthur, <clears throat> wrote in a commentary, I don't remember which one. But he wrote, our practice should match our position. Our practice should match our position. So we are justified. We're declared righteous in Christ. So our practice, therefore, should match our position. So our justification should flesh out itself out in sanctification. And the reason that our justification can flesh itself out in sanctification is because of our regeneration. The very reason we are able to live out the identity that we've been given in Christ in our practical lives, the reason we're able to take our position and apply it in practice is because we have been energized by the Spirit of God. We've been enlivened. We've, a, a dead heart has been made alive in the process of regeneration. So we now have an ability that we once did not have before to please God to enact our identity. Does that make sense? Or if I just got the smoke coming out of the ears. All right. So, older people, veteran young people, what are some practical steps we can take? What?
2: older. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: well, you're all older than me, I think, so.
2: <laughs>
0: veteran young people. That's what thats what uh, Doug Karsh and Scott Anderson on 97 won the ticket call it. Veteran young guys. So I will say veteran young people. What are some practical steps we can take to help progress in practical holdings? don't say trust and obey. Mm -hmm. I know that that's the right answer. How can we do it? Yeah, what are some practical steps like in the day-to-day... We all live... We're all sinners living in a sin-cursed world. So what are some practical steps that we can take each other to... How can we live holy lives? I mean, don't make the question that walk on all fours. just...
1: Church Help me out. Help me us revenge. all. So yeah. yeah, Right. Mm-hmm. can't just be a, <clears throat> You have to think about it. Right? Yeah. For church. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian <clears throat> home. It's got to be intentional. It's got
0: to be thought out.
2: got to be, it's Lord, be you know his character. in Do God's
0: Word. Character? Spiritual discipline like you said, yeah.
2: <clears throat> I think because God is is a very purposeful God, and um, He does He doesn't. God is is not a um, spur of the moment God. He plans everything. Everything is planned. We should be. Up in the morning and just plan to remind ourselves of every minute of every day and and make it a point to remember what our salvation cost. Mm. And, And I don't know, I know I have a tendency to be very self condemning my brain, in my head, and I have to constantly be um, reminding myself that that God, for whatever reason, called me out of darkness, and he has purpose for me and a plan, and I don't get it, I don't know why, I just have to trust him.
0: So, uh, now if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, rather than belabor that point, I will uh, jump on the idea of being intentional. Because I think that that is a really good answer, Jim. And whoever else was jumping on that idea, I think that's, that's good. Second Peter chapter one, begin reading in verse five. Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And hang on. So when he says, For this very reason, if you look just prior to that, he just gets done extolling the greatness of our salvation. But he just gets done talking about how we have everything that we need for life and for godliness in these amazing and magnificent promises of the Gospel, right? So he says, in light of this, for this very reason, for the, the very reason that you have these amazing promises <clears throat> and have been given everything you need for life and godliness, for that reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and godliness mutual affection, mutual affection, love. Now listen, verse 8, zone in here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me stop before I go to verse 9, because verse 9 you're going to have to hone in even more. But verse 8, So he's saying, Peter's saying, hey, folks, the way the Christian life is supposed to go is that Christians are supposed to be possessing these qualities and not just possessing these qualities, but they are to be possessing these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. Our entire lives, we're growing. We're maturing. We're increasing. And if our lives are characterized by growth and godliness, in, in other words, becoming more holy, day in, day out, and we're becoming more holy or sanctified in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your relationship with God. Or another way to say it, rather than negatively, they will keep they will make you or cause you to be effective and productive now look at verse 9 because this has a lot to say with what was just said about the gospel but whoever does not have them But whoever does not have these qualities in increasing measure, how are they described? Peter describes them as nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In other words, someone who has not appropriated their spiritual disciplines, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and are not growing, 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 increasing in holiness, progressing in their sanctification. They have become nearsighted. They, in other words... They are blind. All they can see is like what's right in front of them. They're stuck in the here and now. They can't see, as, Kalash, as Paul talks about in Colossians, live for eternal things, live for heaven, set your things on heaven rather than on earth. He's saying that we're nearsighted and we're so nearsighted all we can see is the junk of this life, the sin of this life, That we're blind. That we have forgotten the gospel. That when our lives stagnate, when our lives cease to grow, that we are focused on the here and now and we are not focused on the gospel. We have taken our eyes off Jesus. We've taken our eyes off the gospel. And our lives are living are being lived in such a way that it's contrary to the very Gospel that has saved us. Then verse 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things... For if you are making every effort in increasing measure and possessing these qualities in increasing measure, if you are making every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, number one, you will never stumble. That doesn't mean you'll never sin, but you will never fall into this unproductive, uh, gospelless or gospel amnesia state. Number one, you will never stumble. And number two, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and all I can think about there, even though this is not a parallel scenario, but is the father of the prodigal son when the prodigal son came home. And that father, that same loving father, that rich, warm welcome. That picture of He's standing at the door because he saw his son afar off coming back in a repentant, humble state. And he busts out the door and knocks him over with a bear hug. And that is our Heavenly Father who welcomes a, us into heaven, into his eternal kingdom, with a rich and warm welcome for those of us who possess these qualities in increasing measure. So how if we just flip this text kind of on its side or on its head, we say, so how do we continue to possess these qualities in increasing measure? Make every effort, right? Be deliberate, right? Make every effort. But I would also suggest that look at it from this from the negative side. Those who are not increasing, are people who have forgot the gospel, right? Who have gotten so nearsighted on the here and now and on themselves and on the stuff of their lives that they don't see the gospel anymore. They just see themselves. And they're, as Paul Tripp likes to say, their kingdom of self rather than this eternal kingdom of God, which is is far more uh, freeing than the, as he likes to call it, the claustrophobic kingdom of law. So I commend to you Second Peter one. That we would be diligent, that we would be disciplined, that we would make every effort to be people who are increasing in holiness, while keeping our eyes on Jesus the author of this amazing gospel that has saved us. Isn't it amazing that a holy God who is completely other, majestic transcendence, and He is completely pure, had His creation rebel against Him in very short order. And in complete justice, and in complete accord with His holiness, He could have just went... And judged us as the unrepentant, unrighteous, unholy people that we are. And yet, that God, in His holiness, sent His Son to be the holiness that we have never and could never be. That's pretty amazing. And if that doesn't give us Mormon fuzzies, if nothing else, and then in, and in provide a jolt of enthusiasm to go and say no to sin and yes to God, to have a Titus 2 um, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness worldly loss but to live soberly righteously holy and godly in this present age In I don't know what does the grace of God is the transforming grace of God that gives us the ability and the enthusiasm to live lives that please him and become increasingly holy so let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you that it meets us where we need it I thank you especially for a text like Second Peter that you authored so long ago to a specific group of people yet knowing that we were going to read it tonight and that we need it. We need to be reminded that our lives, um, in order to be effective and productive for you, uh, must be increasing uh, with your holy character. That... We must represent you well, as Ephesians 4 says. That we must walk in a manner worthy. That, we rep- that our lives conform to your character, um, just as you perfectly conform to your own character. And so we ask that you would help us to have lives that are increasingly conforming to your character, so that we will be effective and productive in your kingdom and that we will receive a rich welcome. And help us do that by giving us the spiritual discipline and the enthusiasm as we gaze into your gospel um, and as we are empowered by it. Help us not to take our eyes off of that.